Hey everyone, Tessa Stuckey here with For the Sake of Our Youth. I just want to take a quick second to thank you for listening and joining me on this journey. This is a really scary world that we live in and being a parent is without a doubt the hardest job in the world. I am a mom of four, I'm a therapist, and now I'm an author. I'm so excited to announce that my book, For the Sake of Our Youth, was recently published in April. You can find it on Amazon or barnesandnoble.com. As a therapist, I get this amazing advantage to hear what's going on in today's world for our youth, and I just can't be quiet about it, to understand what's going on in today's culture and how it's affecting our kids' emotions. And I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but it's not looking good. I have always said that I could talk about this forever, so much so that I could write a book about it. So I wrote the book about it, but I'm not done talking. So here we go. Ooh, also, sorry. If you're liking what you're hearing, go ahead and subscribe so that you get updated whenever there's a new episode that comes out. Maybe even leave a review. That would help other parents find this podcast easier. I would really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Also, if you want to follow me on Instagram, you can find me at the mom therapist. For more information, go to www.tessastuckey.com. Well, I, is there like a full moon or something? Because (laughs) things are just off today. How are you? I'm good. And Sharon, who never, ever makes a mistake. We had the wrong time. Whatever. You know, I I think it's emblematic of what's going on right now. I think everybody is down to their last two. We're all burnt out and we feel overwhelmed. Um, okay, before we begin, Dr. Levine, do you know how long I've been trying to track you down? Oh, I don't know, but thank you. <laughs> so you came to my hometown, um, I guess like two or three years ago, and I just fell in love with you. I fell madly in love with you and everything that you had to say, yeah. and I'm just so excited to have you here today because- oh, Thank you. Yay, That's finally. Nice, in, you're ago, in- um, The Woodlands, Texas. <laughs> Ah, yes. Yes. Yeah. I remember that place. I remember and it well. I was like at the height of my research for my book and uh-huh. you were talking about a lot of the stuff and it took everything inside me not to be like, can I, can I add this? Can I say this? Can we talk about this? So yeah. Um, well, we, you have four boys, right? Yeah. I Mine are all grown up. They're probably your age. And, How old uh, are your kids now? They are 30 to 40. Yeah about my age Mm -hmm. yeah 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 yeah. they're all millennials yeah that's about right how funny um yeah I have four boys they're nine seven and then twins that are five oh and here you are yeah (laughs) that's uh I'm just writing that down that's a lot of boys (laughs) (laughs) it is a lot of boys um Everyone asks me all the time, and I'm sure you got asked this a lot too, is when are you going to try for the girl? And I always yeah. respond with, I'm enough girl for this house. We don't need, we don't know, need any more drama. One. Yeah, that's a good one. I know, you know, um, I had really wanted to have a girl. Yeah. Because uh, I grew up in a time when girls were not allowed to do anything much. Right. Yeah. So I have a granddaughter now. Oh, She's and, a baby. Oh, perfect. Yeah. But that's, that's very exciting. Um, you know, that wasn't up to me. It was up to God. It just wasn't up to me. Yeah. So I hear it, that. <laughs> it was what it was. And my boys are great. They're married. One oh, has good. Shot, yeah. You know, we didn't have, you know, and it's just anecdotal. We didn't never had the kind of um, drama in the house that my friends with yep. three girls had. Yeah. So you know I guess that's gonna happen when they start dating and stuff did you ever have to deal with the drama with dating no I just then never mind I'm gonna take that off the table as a fear for me okay (laughs) done no I mean it's the same you know what did I worry about when they were teenagers when they drove yes you know when they got keys to a car that was scary oh I am fearful of that yes substance abuse in my community because it's got money was right but you know, but 
it's a constant conversation with my husband. You know, when you go, what are you thinking? I'll say to him, what are you thinking? And he's like, nothing. He's a surgeon, nothing. Uh-huh. And I say, no, really, you got to be thinking. Uh-huh. Nope, nothing. Nope, literally nothing. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, it drives me crazy. I grew up, um, both of my parents are therapists, they're psychologists. So I grew up in a house where we talked a right. lot. There was no, what are you thinking? Nothing. Like, we were expressing what we were thinking and and our emotions. So when I met my husband and he just was not like that at all. I mean, at first I thought, oh, he must not be interested in getting deep with me. (laughs) Yeah. No, it was just no guy thing. (laughs) Yep. Yep. That simple minded, most beautiful way of living life. I think so. (laughs) Uh, Boy, sometimes I wish uh, that's how I saw things, but I do too. Yeah. In any of that's funny that we end up marrying men who are much very like even (laughs) compartmentalized yeah yeah Yeah. and my dad is not like that so I didn't know that but your dad's a psychologist right right so it's a totally different breed right that's right (laughs) so okay so I am obsessed with teach your children well but I know we're not here to talk about that Um, and I'm so anxious to hear about ready or not. I connected with Michelle Borba recently and I absolutely love her. My best bud. Yeah. She said that you guys meet occasionally to just like, almost like a support group, right? We meet at me, Michelle and Catherine Steiner Dare, who wrote on media. Um, we meet every week, every Saturday. Well, anytime y'all need a little Texas girl to chime in, please (laughs) add me in. Anyways, okay, but I want to hear all about Ready or Not. So it's preparing our kids to thrive in an uncertain and rapidly changing world. I mean, what better time than now to need something like this on our bookshelf as parents, right? Right. So that book um, came out the month before lockdown. It was not that I anticipated um, COVID COVID or right. a pandemic or the right. country falling apart. It wasn't any of that. It was that it was so clear to me that things were changing in, in, in the world and especially in the business world, but in education as well. And that we mm-hmm. were still attached to this expired view of education and an expired view of parenting in some ways. So um, that book was written not so much with the help of psychologists and educators, which are my go-to people. Uh Those are the people who helped me with teacher children well and with Price of Privilege. But I wanted to talk to people who were accustomed to rapid change. Yeah. And so I ended up doing most of my research in the business world and in the military, because oh. those are groups of people that have to change and adapt really and adjust quickly. all the time. Yeah. Right. And, and I had a, a personal experience that gave me the juice to start this work. And that's I was my my youngest son, who was in college at the time, was home on a break. And I was going to ha- have a, my mortgage uh, do- redone. And so we went to the head of the mortgage department. I'm at First Republic Bank and he wanted to go with me. So he went with me and three kids, they're all different. This is my child who's very, very sensitive and kind and paying Aww. attention to what people need. Yeah. So I'm in there for maybe an hour and a half and he at one point says, my, your voice is scratchy, which it is most of the time now. Uh-huh. I saw some tea. Can I get it for you? And I said, sure. And he does. I'm oh, still what talking. a sweetheart. Oh my gosh. And then he looks at his watch. This is over an hour and a half. It's not like he's right. And he says, you know, my, I think the, um, the meter is going to expire. Uh, can I go down and put a couple quarters in? I said, sure. And then towards the end, he notices that the head of uh, the mortgage department's tea is finished. So he said, can I get you some tea? And she says, sure. So she and I finished this hour and a half. And at the end of it, she turns to my son. This is a true story. She yeah. turns to my son and says, I'd like to offer you a job. What? Now, she knew nothing about him. She didn't know if he was in college, you know, she didn't say let's set up an interview or let's set up a time to talk. She said, I want to offer you a job, a job. 
And so both he and I were like, and I think I probably recovered a little faster. And I said, that's interesting. You don't know anything. You don't know if he's in college or. Or if he just got out of jail. (laughs) (laughs) Rehab. Uh And, and she said, "Um, I don't care. I can teach him what he needs to know, but he is the person I want sitting next to me to see if I need things, to see if other people need things. That's the kind of person I want in my Yeah, yeah. Like very observant and empathetic. Right, he was yeah. kind. And yeah. um, she, the, the funny part of the story is he did take the job. He was graduating, um, this was in the winter, he took the job. He hated banking so much that he became <laughs> a lawyer. But, but the story, the story was a good story of, this is not just in my head, here it is right in front of me. Right. She didn't want to know his grades. She didn't want to know where he went to college, which was not any very ordinary college. Yeah. She was interested in the fact that he was empathic and collaborative and yes. noticed what was going on. And so that gave me a little more fuel for sure. sort of taking a look. Like it's not just in my head that kids need things other than straight A's. Yeah, that's what it looks like out in the world. And that was kind of the beginning of interviewing people in business um, about what they were looking for. And you probably know places even like Harvard are making it test optional now. Yeah, yeah. Um, So wonderful. Yeah, well, it, it is wonderful. My fear always is it'll get gamed in some other way, you know, they'll sure. say, yes. right? yeah. Um, and, and I think the, the overarching point, Tessa, is you don't need to go to Harvard or, or, or to any of those schools. Um, right. Challenge Success, which I co-founded down at Stanford with a gal named Denise Pope. So we speak together a lot. She went to Stanford and Harvard. I went to the State University of New York at Buffalo. Uh-huh. And as I talked to people who were successful, this notion of just going, you know, getting the right grades and going to the right college and getting the right job, it actually isn't the way the world works. Right. And um, whenever I speak, I put up a graph and I ask. I remember. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. So I had back, back in the day, it's been, mm-hmm. it's been a long time. Um, and it, nothing has changed. I think. Um when people hold on to, and I know I was guilty of this too, in my uh, late teen, early twenties, when they hold on to the idea that it's supposed to be the straight path, that every move I make is going to get me that stay on that path. It just overwhelmed me with anxiety and fear. And that crippled me rather than motivated me. Right. Right. And, and I think part of what it's a really nice point and part of what you're talking about is we forget that there's a million other tasks in growing up besides your education. Right. And the, I think what we're seeing now in terms of COVID, the, the group that's having, in my experience, the hardest time are, are 18 to 24-year-olds. Uh-huh. Their um, anxiety rate has tripled. It was so high before I was in your community talking because it was so high before. Right. It's tripled. It's quadrupled in terms of depression. I know you have an interest in suicide and it's doubled. These are all numbers from the CDC. It's doubled in terms of suicidal ideation. Has this been a hard time? Absolutely. It's hard for everybody. But, But I think what's happening with that particular group who who really seem to be doing poorly is that over the course of a you're young but you're you're old enough to be the mom of four kids and married and stuff mm-hmm. right we accumulate challenges in life yeah and and over the course of a lifetime hopefully in small amounts we learn to deal with I wasn't invited to the party and I feel sad right right, right. Or the boy I wanted to go to the prom with doesn't want to go with me. Right. Or I didn't get into the college. So those the rejection, are, natural yeah. rejections. That's mm-hmm. right. And to the extent that we allow kids to deal with that and have some bandwidth, what you were just describing was there's no bandwidth left for solving problems. You, you know, you've got one thing going. Yeah. 
And I think I think because we've been thrown into the deep end of the pool with this, you know, without water wings, <laughs> yes. right? Um, the fact that many young kids have not had the experience of being able to meet smaller challenges so they Hardships, can yeah. one. Um, I, I think that's part of what's problematic. I, I don't think they're resilient. I don't think they have a good toolbox uh, to go into when, when they meet challenge. Yeah, so I, ready, or, I agree. ready or not talks about that a lot about what we do and don't protect our children from. Yeah. Oh, I love that. So um, you're absolutely right. That age group, they haven't had to struggle really. And they, they're being raised by parents who don't allow the struggle and kind of fix their problems and make it easy for them. And they've had a world of instant gratification with a screen to help them cope, you know, quote unquote cope. And Mm -hmm. it's created that deprivation of, of the opportunity to learn how to build resilience. And absolutely. I, I, I think the silver lining with COVID is that some of the younger kids are going, they are being forced to be bored. They are being forced to struggle through this stuff. Um, But you're right. The older teenagers and young adults are, they don't know what to do. And it's, it's driving them into this state of dark thoughts and depression and anxiety. And, and those years are those soul searching years too. Those are the years when you're like, all right, I'm ready to figure out what I'm supposed to do in this world. And it's kind of all been put on a standstill. So I can imagine that that has a lot to do with their anxiety and depression. Um, And I think the other thing I'm in my office right now talking to you and my little gardens out back and Every week, one of my friends sends one of their 20-year-olds just to sit in the back with me with masks on. Uh And the other thing that I'm, aside from my clinical practice, the other thing that I'm finding is these kids don't have a sense of purpose and or meaning. And what I hear over and over again is just what you said, you know, my whole life, what, what was it for? My whole life is on hold. I can't, I can't graduate. I can't get a job. And the, the, the solution or the, the uh, vaccination for meaninglessness is go do something, right. figure out what matters to you yes. and do it. Go to Jewish family and children's service, um, uh, a tutor, an inner city kid who's fallen behind, yep. get groceries. So because there's been such a focus and in, in, in terms of what you just said, you know, you were so paralyzed by looking at one thing in life um, that the other, not not just for you, but for for many people in your generation, the other part of what makes for a comfortable and meaningful life is not so much self-focus. Well, you have four children, you you know about not being focused on yourself, but meaning. Um, Yes. and, And having parents understand in ready or not, I call it accumulated disability. Okay. Every time you protect your child from something that they can manage, maybe not easily, but they can manage, you've given the message that that child's not competent, not capable. Um, and, and parents have been very busy not protecting their children from academic stress but the child says, oh, I didn't get invited to the popular girl's birthday. And I had this in my practice and, and dad says, I'm taking you and all your friends to the Warriors game instead, yeah. which means that the kids won't go to, to the, the other party. party. It's protection and it, right. and it does not work well. So what you're saying, which I say a lot in my book as well, is we're putting the protection and focus in the wrong area. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So ready or not, does it focus mostly on resilience or are there other factors that play a part? It focuses largely on resilience and largely on this issue of how do you decide what your child needs protection from? So like, frankly, all my books, everybody thinks they're about children. You know, it's like teach your children well Mm -hmm. and stuff like that. They're really all about parents. Yes. Uh huh. That is now no longer a secret. Um, I think we get 
incredibly anxious when we're asked to tolerate um, more anxiety around our children. Yeah. And, you know, the example I'll use is my youngest son, the one I just talked about, my youngest son had asthma and he was invited to, for a weekend of rock climbing. And I was, I was terrified. A, a nervous wreck. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And, but he was under control and he knew how to use his inhaler and they, they weren't near a hospital, but they were. And so that was a, a lesson in, he was excited. He wanted to go. Um, I, I didn't breathe the weekend, you know, right, till he right, walked right. Into, but he was fine. So sometimes when you get that call at midnight, you know, your son's crying and he wants to come home, whether it's from a sleepover or camp or whatever, we rush out to do it because it makes us anxious to say, you know what, just um, he'll be okay. Give yeah. it another day or two. Yeah. So part of Ready or Not is about the anxiety. We have. Look at what you're doing. You've got four children, you've written a book, mm -hmm. you're doing your podcast, you're in the middle of COVID, you're in the middle of the kind of uh, fraught anxiety about the future of America. Uh -huh. <laughs> People have economic collapse. I mean, it really, it is such a storm here. It is. So I think we work really hard to lower our own anxiety when we can, and sometimes yeah. it's misplaced. Well, so yeah. ready or not is half about that, and the other half is really about what are people going to, what are kids going to need going forward? Um, yeah. I got to talk to the heads of banks and um, Google, AI, and Facebook, and NASA, all the places where you assume, oh, that would be a cool job. And, and just found that it was a different skill set that was being looked for. And that, yeah. that all those places had stopped only recruiting from the Ivy Leagues. And I think the world is, as we're seeing right now, going to be so difficult and it's chaotic and it's changing fast. So the ability to adapt to that yes. is probably the number one thing you're going to need. And in order to do that, you have to develop a toolkit of go-to coping skills, yes. uh, which don't include taking Adderall so you can stay up and study for your next yes. step. Right. Um, so a lot of it is about how do you develop the coping skills that you need to make it through tough times and how do you help your kid develop yeah. those skills. I like that a lot. I talk a lot about in parenting, if we are going to allow our kids to struggle, then we have to learn how to sit in that discomfort because right. it is so heartbreaking when your child is crying or they, you see them experiencing anxiety or they're frustrated with homework or whatever. And you do your natural instinct is to be like, it's okay. Let me take care of it for you so that you don't have to feel that because I know that that feeling is horrible, but really, and I like the way you said it. And I say it a lot too, is you are signaling to your child, Hey, you're not strong enough to get through this. Let me do it for you. Or I don't trust that you're going to be able to handle this. So let me go ahead and do that for you, which is doing them a huge disservice, you right. know? And I, I think one of the most underused phrases, which I get to use a lot clinically, but not in houses is you've got this, you know, the kid comes and I, don't, I can't do this or I'm afraid. Or, and, and we say, tell me about it, or let me do it for you. And really not all the time, but more of the time we should be saying, I think you can do that yourself or yeah. you've got that. And, yep. you know, your kid knows you're available if they run into trouble they can't handle. And you know, when your kid is in trouble, they absolutely can't handle. Right, right. But much of the time they build that muscle of resilience by mm -hmm. having what we call titrated experiences, experiences that they can manage over time. Yeah. Um, that leads them to have a robust toolbox of skills. Yeah. Okay. So before we go any further, what are your credentials? So you are a psychologist, a clinical psychologist? Yeah, I'm a PhD in clinical psychology. Um, I was a teacher first. Oh, I was too. Were you really? I was. Mm -hmm. What ages did you teach? I did special ed elementary. Oh, okay. And so it was not my thing. Nope. And 
I taught in the South Bronx of New York. They made a movie about it called Fort Apache, the Bronx. Oh, I'll have to watch that. Yeah, it was very, very difficult. And I was very, very bad at it. And that's what was it called? What's the movie called? Fort Apache, the Bronx. Okay. Which probably is not politically correct right now, but that was the name of the movie. Um, Um, And what age group did you teach? I taught kindergarten and junior high school. So I was there for about three years. Oh my. And it was a very difficult experience, very difficult for many reasons. But even under the best of circumstances, I knew I wouldn't be a good teacher. Yeah. And, you know, people say, oh, that's false humility. It's not. I was really bad at it. For real. But yeah, for real. But what I was good at was going home with the kids after school. Uh This was a real inner city, very poor neighborhood. And sitting down at the table with the kid and their mom, it was almost always their mom, Uh and trying to come up with a plan to get them to move out of that socioeconomic group. Because in that school, if you carried your books, you got beat up. Okay. weren't supposed to be interested in that so right. I had a place where kids could store their books but wow. I, I use that also as an example of when you said earlier when we were talking this is a time when kids are supposed to be trying different things it's how you right learn right um, you know people always talk about passion I try and leave that out of my talks because Dan Pink and I were once giving a talk together about passion Uh and I got a call the next day from a mom all worried my kid doesn't have a passion I'm worried I heard you talking about it and I said how old is your kid and she said four (laughs) (laughs) oh no you know life is the point right so passions don't just like become we're not born with them when we come out of the womb you know, it's interest. It's a tremendous amount of practice. It's yes. hard work, all that kind of stuff. So, um, yeah, I just lost my train. Of so you of. taught for three years in the Bronx yeah. and then what led you to go the mental health psychology route? Because I was, I was very bad at um, teaching, teaching <laughs> and I was not very good at discipline, which oh. is what you really needed to teach in that environment, sure. but I was really good at thinking with kids about how to solve their problems. Yeah. So um, then I worked in a, at Mount Sinai in, on the psych units, pasting macaroni on poster board. (laughs) That that was kind of my job, Uh but I liked it better than teaching. I had never taken a undergraduate psychology course. Okay. And, and I really owe my career to a woman named Sue Fine who was my supervisor at Mount Sinai. And one day calls me and I'd been working there about two and a half years and told me she was gonna fire me. And I was like, I came from a very working class background and uh-huh. like I had a job in an apartment. And she said to me, you know, you, you just should be doing more than this than pasting macaroni on poster board. Uh-huh. I want you to go back to school. And her husband was a psychologist and, and they, you know, that, that thing of having somebody have that kind of confidence in you. Uh-huh. Um, my dad died very young. My uh-huh. mother, we were on food stamps and welfare. And yeah. so wasn't that big, that big idea, that yeah. big dream. And that's how I became a psychologist. Oh my um, gosh, I love that story. Yeah, it's, but I, I don't think it's that unusual. I think that kind no. of meandering around. So what, what made But you- I think also, um, I'll share my story in just a second. I think also like you are a really great example of someone who had to struggle through hardships, build resilience that then helped you build confidence, motivation, and ambition. And without those stressors, not that I want, yeah, you know, traumatic hardships for any of the families, but with, with that, you were able to make it a productive put productive energy into your life rather than kind of what we're saying where these kids are lacking that strength and resilience. Right. Right. So I I read um, a statistic that really interested me yesterday, you know, because I was going to say, I did very well. My brother, who's a veterinarian did not do as well. He was younger. um, And he, he just wasn't made, you know, we're made up in a certain way. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And 
40 to 50 or 40 to 60 percent of anxiety disorders have a genetic basis. Uh Um, But only 10 percent. I hadn't seen this before. This is from the CDC. Only 10 percent of our genetic potential gets expressed, gets realized. Oh, 90% of it doesn't. And what's like it's the, locked away in there and we'll never face it. That's right. Because the it's, it's epigenetics. If I had another career to do, it would be uh-huh. epigenetics where the environment and your genetic potential meet. Yeah. Determines a lot of outcomes, not everything, but a lot of outcomes. Yeah. And so as miserable as it was to lose a parent and be on welfare and all that kind of stuff for me, um, my environment was supportive. Um, It was, it helped me. It's when I started writing, I used writing as a way of dealing with what was going on. And Mm -hmm. it's my suggestion for everybody right now. Uh I'm a big (laughs) journal, journal advocate. Yep. Yeah. And, and so out of that comes, a whole bunch of skills, um, partly genetically determined, sure. but also partly environmentally determined. And I was thinking about this yesterday, Tessa, in terms of, well, what am I asking parents to do in terms of the environment now? Uh-huh. Everybody's anxiety is high. Um, and if, if epigenetics, and we know a lot from trauma research right now, if, if yeah. the environment is so critical, you know, what is it that parents need to do? And, you know, like I said to you before, the books are always about parents. I, I'm asked all the time, well, what, what should I do with my kid? And, mm-hmm. and my answer is always, what are you doing for yourself? Uh-huh. Because if you're not okay, right? if you're not okay, nothing you do for your kids is going to be good enough. Right. Because, and spe- you have young children, especially with younger children. Yeah, so, yeah. So I think finding things that, make the parents um, feel capable, feel, feel like nobody's going to feel good. It's a question of, can <laughs> I manage this? Right? Yes. You know, people, people will say like, um, well, what do you do? You know, you seem fine. And it's like, yeah, most days I am fine. Right. And some days I'm not. Nobody yeah. is getting right. through without having bad, like, like we screwed up the time that we were supposed to meet today on right. my exactly every day. Yep. Every day something happens like that. So what do you need to get through that? You need right. to be flexible. You need um, to uh, take all the stuff out of your amygdala, which is where mm-hmm. anxiety and uh, yep. emotions and aggression live and mm-hmm. try and push it into your prefrontal cortex, which can evaluate and think about things. And I was laughing yesterday because I was talking to a group and I said, every talk I've given, I've told people to meditate. Everyone, Uh because it's one of the things that we have research on. Have I meditated once in this? No, I have not. I haven't (laughs) meditated, I haven't faked, I haven't Uh cleaned up my closets. Uh All the things like structure, all the things that I say. And so one thing I'd like your audience to you know, hear from me is every family is different. Yes. Um, tonight I'm doing a talk with a rabbi, uh-huh. and I said, "Oh, let's just do a conversation like you and I are doing." Yeah. And she was like, "No, I just want to hear you talk." And I said, "But you know, you're the rabbi. I want to know what you think." And she's yeah. like, "I don't know." Yeah. <laughs> so, you're like, "But you're supposed to know." <laughs> right. So we, we know some, yeah. we know some things, yeah. but the last thing I want is for any parent to feel excoriated or criticized or, oh my God, you know, Dr. Levine said I was supposed to meditate and I right. don't because right. I don't. Right. Um, I don't want anybody burdened by right. the things that. Feeling that pressure and judgment. Right. We already put that on ourselves as parents enough. We don't need anything else. Um, well, I'm going to have to talk to you about my, so my second book, my first book was titled for the sake of our youth. And it's all about kids growing up in today's culture that aligns very well with your work. And then my second book, I believe I'm going to title for the sake of yourself. And Uh it's something that I call emotional hygiene, where Mm -hmm. I break down the different 
categories of basically self-care. I personally don't love the term self-care because I think it's misunderstood a lot of times, but that's why I call it emotional hygiene. And that's basically what it's focusing on, how you as the parent can be the best version or just individuals, not just parents, the best Mm -hmm. version of yourself and practicing that self-awareness to learn what do I need on a daily basis to feel content? We're not shooting for happiness and you're ready to (laughs) sing, you know, singing in the rain. We're talking about just feeling comfortable, feeling okay, feeling content on a daily basis so that when happiness hits you, you feel great. And when sadness hits you, you're still okay. It's um, great. I love it. Yeah. I love it because, because there has been, it's fascinating to me. You know, my kids are grown, yours are young. There's a million books on kids, yes. right? Especially on teenagers. Yes. When we went to bookstores, you go and try and find something on the parents themselves. And it's, it's almost like, um, it's like a delusion. It's like there's a million books on kids, but kids are raised by parents. <laughs> but you know so- what I find, Madeline, is that if I put the word parent in any sort of presentation title, mm-hmm. people don't want to come. Absolutely. And they whether it's they're ashamed or they're embarrassed or they don't want to be judged or they don't think that it applies to them. I don't know, but I learned that from the get go, whenever I started sharing my research, because no one would come, you know, and it's, it's very defeating as a speaker for no one to come. (laughs) Yes, it is. My, my first, my very first book tour, I spoke at uh, Barnes and Nobles in New York to Uh my aunt and my cousins. Oh my God, I love it. They came though. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) My aunt from New Jersey and her three kids. Yeah. So, so here's, here's a little bit of the difference. I agree with you that parents get put off by, not me, you know, my neighbor may, but not me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> since I've been doing this for a long time, I think I get to call it like it is. Like yes. this is probably the first time I ever said publicly, hey, it's really not about your kids. It's really it's about, about you. Right. I'm okay. I'm okay with that because I really believe it's true. You must really believe it's true too, given very much, yeah. Given yeah, what you're writing about. So um I'm just not as um, you know, people don't think I'm as knowledgeable or filled with wisdom just yet to be able to tell it like it is. I have to tiptoe around it just a little bit to lure them men and then I hit them with the truth. (laughs) Right, right, right. And I'm okay with that. Yeah, that's fine. I mean, you know, you're, you're at the beginning of being known in this arena. Yeah. Um, And I've been in it for 30 years. It's been a long time. Yeah. And, and, And isn't it interesting how when you talk to smart people who are interested in the same topic, we all kind of end up in the same place. Yeah. Like, um, what's with all this emphasis on grades, right? Like, yeah, that matters, but so many other things matter. Haven't you noticed 30% right. of kids have an anxiety disorder, right. 30% of kids. And the numbers are just escalating, escalating, escalating. Yes. But um, do you feel like, um, and this is how I feel that if it wasn't for my job, I would know a lot of this stuff to be worried about. And that's why I feel pulled to share this information because a lot of people don't have this job or this role working with teenagers in today's youth. And so did you feel as you were raising your boys that your job was kind of like an advantage for parenting? Well, for sure. Uh, I mean, part of it was from clinical practice, from just seeing so many teenagers with the same kinds of issues. Um, yeah. So I got a lot from that. And and yeah, it really helps to see it uh, in your kitchen or your dining room every day to yep. see what's going on with kids and to appreciate how challenging it can be to, to keep that line between your own needs and your own life. Like that. That's all, that's always in line with what you just said. It's always at the end of my presentation. I gave a presentation yesterday. The very last slide is three things you do for yourself, uh-huh. right? Because if I lead off with that, just yeah. like you, I yep. lose my audience. Yep. They want you know three things that are wrong with your children or three right. things that need help with your children. Right. Um, 
And, you know, COVID is like, what is it? It's a time of institutionalized isolation, right? Yeah. We're all isolated. And I think that women in particular have suffered from the lack of community uh -huh. because everything was, so, when I was raising my kids, my oldest, your age group, uh -huh. things were still okay. My youngest, um, who just turned 30 or 29, 30, um, <laughs> It had started already. And uh -huh. um, I think a lot of my writing came out of my own sense of isolation. And yeah. frankly, you know, when I wrote The Price of Privilege, we thought it was going to be a tiny little book. We thought only like rich people were going to uh, yeah. uh, work and lived in Marin County. Yeah. And that was a blockbuster book it, that yeah. nobody at HarperCollins expected yeah. because it really didn't speak just to wealthy people. It spoke to a way Everyone. of raising kids, right? Yes. That had become normalized. Yes. And, you know, my kids are all grown up now and I see what mattered in bringing them up. And, you know, when my first kid was in a private school for the first three years and I was gonna move him to a public school and I had him tested and they said, oh, I'll never do well in a public school. He ended up at UCLA. He ended up being a lawyer. Just he, he fine. Just fine. Yeah. But the, the burden of anxiety about every move, where right. they're going to school and what kind of grade was absolutely depleting. And yes. I'm curious what you think. I think I would have gone nuts without working. Um, if yeah. that in my life, just making sure my cookies were the best and my kids were straight A students. Yeah. I definitely learned uh, when they were little that I needed purpose outside of my role as mom. Um, I didn't. So I had my first son and when he was five months old, that's when I went back to get my master's uh -huh. and I had a photography business at the time. So I was working and going to school while taking care of him. And that, I mean, that's those first five months with a newborn they were hard on me because I was isolating. We had just moved to a newer area and I didn't have any friends and, and it was not, I I'm not meant to be a stay at home full-time mom. Uh -huh. I'm meant to be a part-time stay at home mom. And, um, so I knew going back to school was a good fit for me and, and then working well then. So I had him and then I had my second son in the middle of grad school. So what? when I graduated, I had a one-year-old and a three-year-old. And then a week after I graduated, I found out I was pregnant with twins. Mm. And oh. so <laughs> I know we don't know how it happened. It just kept happening. <laughs> and I, I didn't work while I was pregnant with the twins because I had to take care of the three-year-old and the one-year-old and stay off my feet as much as possible. And I went the full pregnancy with the twins. I went to 39 weeks and it was miserable, but I remember being pregnant, missing work so much, missing that purpose outside of just being mom. It made me a better mom to right. have the purpose outside of that role. And so the twins were born and I couldn't go right back to work right away. But you know what I started doing? I started to, um, get into woodworking. And I, I don't know what sparked it, but I remember scrolling through Pinterest during nap time and thinking, I don't need to wait for Joseph to get home to learn how to build this. I can build this myself. Right. And I would go out to the garage during nap time and after bedtime, and I would build stuff and I built tables and all my kids' beds and all sorts of stuff. Um, and that became, that became my thing to look forward to that separated me from just being mom and wife until I was ready to go back to work. Um, yeah. and so I, I know that about myself. I learned that a long time ago and, and I help women all the time come to that conclusion too. Not necessarily do they all have to work and write a book, but something outside of being mom is so powerful, um, to have that. Yeah. And, and if you, you know, I don't want this to sound like you shouldn't be a stay at home mom. No, that no. Works, that works fine for some people, but yeah. I'm on the other end of child rearing. And what I yeah. can tell you um, is if you don't have a part of yourself that's separate from that, when your children leave, it is the most depressed group of women I see. Yes. They have 
no interest. They haven't developed friendships. They, yeah. you know, their purpose is lost. It's taken and, away from them. Yeah. yeah. And so I think this is slightly off topic. One of the things that I think is helpful right now is we are going to have to tell a story. Mm -hmm. All of us will have to have a story mm -hmm. about this time, yeah. back to the writing. And I keep thinking about, you know, what's the story I want to have for my sons and yeah, my grandkids? Yeah. Right. And what's the story they want to have? Right. And writing came out of early loss. That became my go-to coping skill. Um, and what happened to me in my career was, I don't have to tell you, you know, three kids, a husband, a house, and a job meant that you had very little extra time. Right. And the thing that I gave up, I think, uh, during those years were friendships. Yeah. I just didn't yeah. have the time. Right. And so I think what I'm finding, and this is back to, you know, the times we live in, um, is that the, whatever was in your toolbox, for me, it was writing. My good friend, it's running. She runs every day. Uh -huh. I write every day. Nobody thought this was going to be a year of this, you right. know. So it was like, oh, okay, I can manage, you know. Right. I'll just write. You I'll can't bake some every... cookies, yeah. Right. Like you can't bake cookies every day for a year. Right. You can't write every day. You can't right. run every day. And so what I ended up thinking about was, okay, I if that's my go-to resilience and coping skill it's getting thin now. I need mm -hmm. to develop something else. Yeah. And for me, that was friendships. Yeah. And so the silver lining in this for me has been, I now have a group of women that I talk to some every day and some every week yeah. and it added and it took away that sense of isolation that I had when I had the same kind of trajectory as you did. Mm -hmm. I had one pregnancy that was a little difficult. I had to stay home and yeah. I went back. It's amazing. We did what we did, huh? Mm -hmm. you yes. Back on it sometimes you go, wow. Now how did I do that? <laughs> I walked down the aisle for my PhD, nine months pregnant. So <gasps> I, I Did was doing you? That. Oh yeah. my gosh. But we're capable yes. of things like that. Yes. I think being young helps. Right? Yes. Anyway, so I'm thinking about, well, if I can't write every day, if you can't do your podcast every day, if right. my good friend can't run every day, what are the kinds of things to add? So for me, one is um, writing, like I said, and writing takes me to the story that you want to tell and that you want your kids to tell. And yeah, I think, I think that's going to be really important because making sense of this without going through a long thing on the brain yeah uncertainty really sucks for the brain yes. the brain doesn't like it yeah it makes bad decisions um yes. and we're not good at figuring out what's happening so i like the exercise of yeah. Thinking about and writing down. What's your story? What are you gonna? What do you want your boys to yeah. tell about this? Thing? I like thinking of it that way. And you know what's funny is, I I work when I work with my teenage clients. I always say something along those lines, like, "You're writing your story right now. How do you want it to go? It's up to you." And I think that's a wonderful way for people to look at hard situations and how to cope through something and processes. And, you know, I'm a writer too. I love to journal. I've been doing it since I was six years old and wow. it has helped me. I'll never forget in college. So I'll just share that I used to smoke cigarettes in college <laughs> and yeah, who didn't right? Well, now they don't, they vape. Um, right. That's what makes me sound old is when I tell my clients I smoked cigarettes, but, um, and I remember being really, really upset with my then boyfriend, now husband with something. And I'm in my apartment and I get my journal out and I'm writing, all I want is a cigarette. I'm so mad. Da, 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 da. And by the end of my journal entry, I say, you know what? I don't even need a cigarette. I feel totally relieved after writing all of that out. Yeah. It's going to be okay. And that moment for me, I was 20 years old. I remember being like, wow, this journal thing really is that powerful that right. I don't need to sit in this woe is me spot. Give me all the nicotine. I can move forward and process it on my own 
through my words and my writing. So it's so powerful and I wish more people did it. I really do. So, so that's one thing for people to think about adding. And the other thing I was thinking as you were talking is um, you had a lot of resilience, right? Already. The other thing I'm finding that's helpful to people is what you and I call CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy. Mm -hmm. So Uh people who are saying, um, I can't manage, I'm overwhelmed. You know, there's a tremendous amount of negative thinking. And there are kids who have a tremendous amount of negative thinking. And and I get a lot of phone calls. How do I help my kid? And I think, uh, you know, CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy is not rocket science. So, So you start teaching people to have their kids say what they were, to listen, first of all. Mm-hmm. You're a therapist as well. Has any kid ever walked into your office and said, you know, Tessa, my parents, they just listen too much. <laughs> right. Never. <laughs> Never. Never, right. They, they don't it's the listen. opposite. My mom won't <laughs> shut up. <laughs> right, that's right. So need to learn real, true listening, not yes. listening. So we have a response, but true listening. Yeah. What's going on with you? everybody's grandma's going to die. Why do you think that? What's your evidence for that? Let's check out your evidence. Are there other ways of looking at it? The exact run through you would do when somebody was a phobic about bridges or whatever it is. And I I think that can be helpful. It gives you a sense of control. And if you teach it to your child, it gives them a sense of control as well. Yeah. And it's a great opportunity for critical thinking skills, right? Mm -hmm. Because we're being blasted with disinformation and misinformation. And I think, you know, I have the school reform project. The biggest thing I hope comes out of this is year long critical thinking scientific method. Yes, check the facts, prove it, all of that, yeah. Absolutely. And and really understand it. There's a line I like from Einstein who said, if I have to solve a problem in an hour, I spend 58 minutes clarifying the problem and two minutes solving it. Oh, I like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, isn't that cool? Yes. So asking good questions, right? Google Mm -hmm. gives us the answer. I mean, you know, but what we have to do is ask the right questions. So those are all opportunities, I think, here. I love that. And the other thing is when you have to go in the bathroom and scream, go ahead go, and do it. Go scream. Yeah. Right. Because success, what is success going to be measured as through this? And I, I truly believe it's going to be, did you make it through? Right. Not how clean your house was, not did you bake homemade, whatever, a strudel, right. not get straight A's. It's, did you make it through? Um, is are your relationships reasonably intact? How are you doing on the other side? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And and I think, and I suspect you agree with me, we're going to have a real mental health tale to this, that mm-hmm. we don't have a vaccine for what's happened to people mentally and emotionally right. through right. this, the way we have. Are you vaccine. still practicing? I mostly consult. I, I okay. have... I, I practice a little bit, but mostly I'm doing consultation. So I am slammed and I've never been so overwhelmed with clients and having the same conversations over and over and over again, which that, you know, that led me to write my first book. So it's put, it's helping motivate me to get my second book done. Um, But it is this pandemic has really created a mental health pandemic and it's, it's scary. There's a lot going on and the therapists are, are getting burnt out too. They're getting burnt out. And the, my take about both mental health and education is that we've always had this bifurcation of services and um, the kids, I'm not worried about your kids. I don't know your kids, but particularly, but I'm very worried about the kids who were behind to start with, who don't have good internet, Right. Yes. Anybody watching to make sure they complete. We're going to have a huge chasm. Yes. Or even, you know, any domestic violence at home that that pulls on my heartstrings big time whenever I think about the lockdowns and all of that. So, um, yeah, there's a lot. We should should have um, 
if I was running the show, we should have a core. We should like the Peace Corps or AmeriCorps or something uh-huh. like that. That's in training right now. Yes. To triage mental health problems, to triage educational problems. Ooh, how do we get that going? I agree. I don't know. My, my local uh, Jewish Family Children's Service is doing a pilot on it because I asked them to, and it's going very well. Yeah. But, you know, this is my little community in yeah. San <clears throat> It should be national. Um, right. Absolutely. Yeah. Because and- we're, we're without that all these issues around equity and racial justice and stuff will just be worse. And it's going to amplify. Yeah. Amplify is the right word. Yeah. And, you know, my heart rests with those kids as individuals more than, more than sometimes I'll tell a parent, if that's how you feel, become an activist, you have to be an activist. Yeah. Um, Somebody yesterday asked me about neurodiverse kids, autistic kids, we don't have good resources in no. the best time for those kids. So yep. you need to become not just an advocate, but an activist for yeah. that. And we need activists, I think, around this issue of how are we going to handle what promises to be yeah. the problem? Because for every kid that had a ment when I was in your town three uh-huh. years ago or whatever, uh-huh. that was because there were enough problems then right. to warrant somebody coming in. Right. All those problems have been exacerbated. Yes. Who, yes. Who's doing poorly? If you had a mental health issue before, you have a bigger mental health issue. Yes. Now. Or if and you it, didn't have a mental health issue before, now you do. Now you do. Right. Yeah. yeah. And, and and frontline workers and yes. unemployed, financial insecure. I mean, there's just so much. So much. Yeah. So. so, okay. When, when is your book? Michelle was telling me you're going to relaunch it. Are you relaunching your book? Well, it comes out in paperback in okay August. Yeah, okay. it's, it's out now. It's on Amazon and okay, like and all that. And then, are you when this pandemic lightens up? Are you going to get back out on the road and talk about it, or are you going to stay put? <laughs> <laughs> if I had any clue whether or not this pandemic will end before I'm a hundred years uh-huh, old, uh-huh, I uh-huh. answer you. Um, I, I'm incredibly busy, like yeah. you yeah. just said. And so part, yes, I'll be out on the road because I, I love the idea that your book is um, geared towards parents. I think that we need to be increasingly clear that the problem is not the, co- you know, if one more person says to me, why can't you get the colleges to change? Uh-huh. <laughs> doesn't need to change this one is actually uh, is trying to change they're doing a mastery transcript but but either that, way uh, yeah it, it starts matter. at home it starts with the parenting yes absolutely right oh. and and just for the reasons we said that parents feel critical and criticized and yeah. competitive with each other as opposed to collaborative yes and there's a lack of community feel it's interesting my husband uh, but he goes down to guatemala every uh-huh. year and has for about the poorest dirt and honduras which is even poorer yes the, the sense of community there is extraordinary yes the women are down at the river talking laughing washing oh i so wish it was like that i yeah, so wish it was like that. that and why don't we have that because we believe falsely that there is um, not enough to go around. And yeah. so if your kid is doing well, that means my kid will suffer. And right. nobody, so not it. nobody yeah. that I spoke to who does hiring, I spoke to the head of hiring for LinkedIn, the yeah. head of AI for Google, nobody feels that that's the case. It's yeah. collaboration and communication and all yeah. those kinds of things that are... And, you know, I, not to like gloat or anything, but at the same time, I struggled so much growing up with my parents because they wanted me to be like my brother and sister academically. And it finally, I finally got to the point where I was able to say, okay, I'm okay. Like uh, my journey to get here was an okay journey. Everyone has their own journey and their own path. And we don't know what that's going to look like. Well, well, that's right. And also it, it, it makes me think, I think about this a lot. Like I was, I was always very good in English or writing and mm-hmm. things like that, but not in math or science. Mm-hmm. I didn't take a single science class uh, in college or mm-hmm. a math class. 
and and I think that I was fortunate that nobody thought that was a big deal. Yeah. That it was perfectly, I was in college in the late 60s. You didn't uh-huh. have to take anything you didn't want to take. Oh, nice. And I, and I think of the parent who calls me up now and says, you know, I need some help. My child has a B or a C. Yeah. And I say, well, tell me, you know, what are you concerned about? And they'll say, well, they've got A's in everything except math. And I right. they need to bring their math grade up. And I'm like, why? What is right. this idea of being great in everything? At everything. At everything. And I think about if anybody had done that with me and oh. said, you need a tutor because you need to bring your math grade up, it would have taken away. You've you got to know your child, know their strengths, play to their strengths. Yep. Well, and Not- it creates such an imbalance <clears throat> in their being and their personality, right? right? And so without that balance, they can't shine in the areas that they're supposed to shine at. Will you tell this story? Cause I remember this story when you presented of, I believe it was some sort of rock band guy mm-hmm. and something about <laughs> a teenager who needed a math tutor and the parents were like, yep, what do I we do? You tell the story. I'll stop. Okay. So, um, this was actually a challenge success at Stanford. Every year we have Memorial Auditorium packed, thousand people. And we throw up these vignettes on the screen to find out how the audience feels. So the vignette was your 16 year old son. um, It was a good math student, but he's taken up the guitar and his math grade is falling. What should you do? Mm -hmm. And the three options were um, take away the guitar. Get a tutor to bring his math grade up, or um, he gets to play the guitar in relation to how he's doing in math. Uh-huh. So I showed it to a friend of mine named James Hetfield, who is the lead singer of Metallica. Uh-huh. And I said, What do you think of these? And he looked at me like I was crazy. And yeah. he said, What about an option being start a band? Right. Um, you learn ah. music, you learn collaboration, you learn yeah. entrepreneurship, you learn math, you learn all kinds of stuff. I love and, that story. Yeah. You know, most guitar playing kids will not end up uh, being a successful band like that. But, right. but I really believe that you can learn what you need to learn through most anything, you know, as long as it's not dangerous. And, yes. I, I, you know, I love that story. And uh, it was yeah. so accurate because none of us who made up that vignette here we all are at even thought like that yeah or to any of us yeah I have I have quite a few families that I will refer that story to but the parents are not a fan (laughs) of Metallica no they're not a fan of that being an option you know they want their child to excel in all of the subjects and so it it's hard sometimes or they'll like it they'll agree with me but then it's still a persisting problem within their household so you but I love it love it you know what sometimes I do with that Tessa is turn it back on the parent in this mm-hmm. sense like it, whatever your work is are you equally good at all aspects I mean right. I have a particular uh, point of view about grades it should be a b or um uh, incomplete because yeah. you get out in the world, you get a raise if you're an A student, yeah. you keep your job if you're a B student. And if you can't measure keep up, out. then you got to go back and learn more. Yes. And, uh, you know, I don't know what C's and D's actually mean, but it's not the way the world right. works. I agree. Our education system is not a good representation of what the real world is. Right. And, and if it doesn't change when this ends, it will be a waste of a pandemic. Yeah. It is so clear to me and to many people, I'm sure to you as well, that there are parts of the education system that need a complete revamping. And yeah. that, that's what, cha- that's for your org- audience, challengesuccess.org. That's what we do. We do research on it Yeah, um, and things like that. But if you turn it around, sometimes like the parent won't see it for their child but I know when I'm writing a book if you saw the first draft of my New York Times best-selling books like they suck they really are not very good because that's the process of learning yep and I think you know my husband's a surgeon he's a great surgeon he's constantly behind on 
you know, filling out his records and stuff. Uh-huh. Yeah. We're just not equally good at, at everything. everything. Yeah. And if someone and, was breathing down your neck every day about all the areas that you are failing at or not excelling at, what would that do to your mental health and your motivation? Exactly. Typically it would knock you down and you right. would think I'm not, I'm not good enough. I suck. Right. Yeah. So we, we need to stay focused on our kids' strengths and they're developing, yeah. you know, they may yeah. have one strength at one point And one day my, my son decided he was interested in baking when he was eight. And I went to Williams Sonoma and I bought hundreds of dollars worth of baking equipment. Yeah. And we got home and he said, nah, you know, I'm really oh. not that interested. <laughs> that's kids, you know. One oh day. my gosh, I love it. That's so yeah. cute. Yeah, but, but that, you want to be the person in their life that's like, all right, let's go get baking stuff. Let's right. see this, how this goes for you. That's awesome. Right. You know, because the right. other options right. are them leaning on drugs or getting into unhealthy habits and hobbies that we don't want our kids to get into. So we might as well encourage the ones that are safe and productive. Right. And I think it's really important, really important for parents to understand that what we were talking about earlier, what I'm calling accumulated disability or protecting kids from discomfort, that is the gateway drug, right? If you never learn how to manage yourself when you're not feeling well, you turn to substances. Yes. That's the true gateway. Yeah. Um, well, I don't want this to end because I'm such a fan of yours and I could talk to you forever and ever and ever. What, where can people find you and, um, learn more about your work? Um, they can find me on my website and there is, uh, Madeline Levine.com. All right. Have a good one. And I will talk to you soon. So glad we finally got to do this. All right. Thank you, Madeline. All right. Bye. So if you guys are liking what you're hearing, I would love it if you could give me some feedback. Actually, scratch that. Even if you, especially if you don't like what you're hearing, I love feedback. Even if it's not the nicest, I want to hear all about it. Even if it's about crappy audio or I edited something weird or I said a word in a weird way which that does happen sometimes anything or I'm smacking my gum which I'm trying not to do I'm trying not to have gum when I record um anything or if I'm saying um too much or talking too much whatever I want to hear it and so before you go just hey that's like that song I love that song can I sing you want me to sing it for you so before you go you know what I mean was there something I could have said to make your heart beat better if only I'd have known you had a storm to weather I think I'm gonna make that like my theme song well I can't make it my theme song but so before you go was there something i could have said to make it all stop hurting kills me how your mind can make you feel so worthless so before you go i like that (laughs) for those of you who don't know me i love to sing even if i shouldn't so there you go leave me a review on the podcast on apple Podcasts. i would love it i would really appreciate it write me dm me whatever go to the link in my bio on instagram at the mom therapist and there's a tab there that says ask tessa you can literally call in a question or comment or feedback or whatever just let me know i love interacting with people and because of covid i haven't had the chance to do that as much so yeah talk to me. 